0: Our New Testament reading this morning is from the 10th chapter of the Gospel of Luke, beginning in the first verse. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted in heaven? You shall be brought down to Hades. The one who hears you hears me, and the one who rejects you rejects me, and the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. And that same hour he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding, and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then turning to the disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Children, you may go to your respective classes. Let's return to Luke chapter 10. We read with Blake just a few minutes ago. Before we look at this passage once more again this morning, if you're visiting, we've been in the same passage last week, this is part two. I would really encourage you, I'm going to say something about last week's message in a, in a moment, but... I would really encourage you. Uh, the preacher wasn't much, but the Lord blessed the message anyway last week. Uh, and it's something that you need to hear, and you'll be better able to understand this message today. If Just go to the website and listen to the message from last week. Before we look at this passage, let's pray. And ask Jesus who was there, ask his father, Uh, to teach us, just as Jesus spoke these words to the disciples, to speak them here again and make them plain to us this morning. Let's pray together. Our Father, we bow before you as your priests, a church full of priests. Our Father, Jesus said, told us that he had called each one of us to be priests. In a way, he's called each one of us to be prophets, to take your word to the world around us, your gospel to the world around us. But he's also called us to be priests, to come before you for the world around us. We relish this time each week, the one time of the week when we can bow with our brothers and sisters who are priests in your kingdom. We can pray together for families, for children. We especially this morning, again, pray for Priscilla Turner. We ask that you would give her strength for these days, physical strength. Father, we pray that you would bring healing. Most of all, we pray that you would continue to grow in her that great confidence in your word, in your promises, that all of us can see in her. Our Father, thank you for that testimony. We pray for Janet Sartell this morning. Thank you for the great report, the good report that she got received this week. We pray, Father, that you would continue to hold this disease in check. Father, we pray that you would heal her. Give her eyes to see. Father, give her ears to hear. Give her a heart that trusts your great word, your great promises. Our Father, we pray for Jeff Myers, Father, that you would speak to him as only you're able to speak to him. Now, Father, we bow before you. We yearn to hear you speak to us. John Sartell cannot speak so that it would change us. So that we change from the inside out, from the very core of our being that we've heard your voice before, you're able to speak like that. And so we ask once more that you would teach us this morning. Bring your word and power to our hearts. Change us, maybe some of us for the first time. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. How do lambs hunt wolves? This is part two. One must ask what Jesus was doing as he sent these disciples into the villages of Samaria and Judea ahead of him. He had already sent out the twelve on a similar mission, remember, in chapter 9. But Luke actually gives more detail about the sending of this 72. Why? you understand these? training missions. Think about it this way. About a year, maybe less than a year after this, these same men would be going into the entire Roman Empire with the gospel, not just Judea, not just Samaria, but to the far reaches of the Roman Empire. These men would be there. These missions These these sending out of the 72 was a training mission for that time. But why 72? Why not 50 or 24 or 65? That number is symbolic and prophetic at the same time. Jesus meant for this to be prophetic to the gospel going to the ends of the earth. You say, how can that be? How's it it a prophecy to that? Well, in Genesis 10 and 11... The tribes and nations of the world are listed. There are 70 or 72 according to how one counts. So he was saying, he was speaking of the nations of the world. 72. The gospel's going out to the nations. But as Jesus sent them forth, his charge was filled with a strange foreboding A disturbing warning. Go, I send you out as lambs among wolves. That's a very graphic picture. What sheep herder would open the door of the barn and turn his sheep loose into a field full of wolves. No one would do that, but that's exactly what Jesus said he was doing. He was saying to the 72, don't expect the world to cheer your coming. Don't expect the world to eagerly receive the news of your faith. In fact, in many places, you may expect hostility. Now, Jesus, in this passage, after saying that, described how they should approach this ministry, how they should approach taking the gospel into this hostile world. Just in saying that, I'm sending you out. That's the first thing he said. Understand, I'm sending you out as lambs among wolves. He was saying, don't be naive. Don't be naive about the world. Secondly, he said, your power will not be in material things. Your power will not be in money. Your power will not be in your clothes or in your wealth or in your position. Then he said, your power, neither will your power be in your popularity. Looking back at church history, we can see why he said these things. The church in every age has been tempted to be naive about the world around them. The church in every generation has sought to make money in position, material things, try to make these things their power. How often have we thought, if we just had the money at Christ's present, think what we could do. And here's Jesus saying, that's not going to be your power. Not in this world. The church in every age has sought to be popular with the world, always laying aside distinctives in order to be accepted by the world. We see that all around us in our culture. But then Jesus also in this passage, he says, here's how you'll approach this ministry as lambs among wolves. But then he began to speak. He also spoke of their message. What is your message? What message would you take to this world? He said, first you'll have a balanced message. Look at verse 9. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God is near. Care for the physical needs that you find in this world. Feed the hungry. Clothe the naked. Help the hurting. Heal the sick. And then he said, Tell them the kingdom of God is near you. You have these two things. You bring physical help. You heal the sick. Think of all the hospitals that churches have built all around the world. All the children's homes. He said, you bring relief to this hurting world. But then you also couple it with the kingdom of God is near you. Bring the help, but never leave off the gospel. There's always been a tension in the church in keeping this balance. Sometimes the church has cared for the hurts and needs of the people around them, but has failed to bring the gospel. Sometimes Sadly, the church has delivered the words of the gospel, but without compassion. If we're going to be lambs among wolves here in Fayette County, it means that we bring help to the hurting, that we minister to the needs of the world around us. Whether they're Christians or not, it does not matter. But it also means that we must faithfully bring the gospel in this way. It's not an either or. It's a both and. It's not that some churches do one thing and another church and, and other churches do the other. It must be combined if we're going to be disciples at Christ, his disciples at Christ's Presbyterian. This is clearly seen. It's been clearly seen since the beginning in the history of the church. The message, the message of the early Christians was puzzling to the Romans. They couldn't understand it. These strange people, who were being persecuted all over the empire, would answer their tormentors with compassion. One way they saw that, in the Roman society, unwanted babies were taken out into the harsh wilderness, taken out into the mountains, and just left to die. What did the Christians do? The Christians went out into the wilderness, into the mountains, where babies had been left exposed to the elements to die, And they would take those babies and save them and raise them. They were rescuing the children of the very people persecuting them. That's powerful, isn't it? Rome didn't understand it. Who are these people? I must ask you, in light of last week's lesson, has the world changed? You say, oh, we no longer take children out in the wilderness and expose them. Really? Are you blind? We no longer expose the babies in the wilderness. We just kill them in the womb. It was the largest single group in our society rescuing the unwanted babies of the world. The people of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, you have a balanced message. Secondly, he said, you have a crucial message. Look at verse 10. But when you enter a town and are not welcome, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that sticks to our feet, we wipe off against you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God is near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon At the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted to the skies? No, you will go down to the depths. He who listens to you listens to me. He who rejects you rejects me. He who rejects me rejects him who sent me. Jesus was saying to the disciples, You have a crucial message. What you do with the Messiah, what you do with his coming, what you do with his kingdom... That is the great crossroads of your life. That's what we say to the world. This is an either or issue when it comes to the gospel. There's a sobering part of this message of the Messiah. day of reckoning is coming. What did you do with Jesus? That will be the question. What was the picture? The Messiah arrived in these places. Bethsaida, Chorazin, Capernaum. All cities in northern Israel. The kingdom of God was there in their midst. The results of the fall, the darkness was, the results of the fall was pushed back, were pushed back. The darkness was pushed back. The blind received sight, the paralyzed walked, the dead were raised. And the people heard the very voice of God in their midst. And yet, as a whole, they did not receive him. They did not believe him. They did not rejoice with laughter at his coming. They did not have a party of celebration and shout to the world, the kingdom of God has come. gospel was there. Folks, the gospel is rejected when Jesus is turned away. That's a serious thing. The salvation of your soul, of your life, of your family depends on what you do with Jesus. That's, that's what he was saying. There's a verse that haunts me. Luke 19.44, Jesus is walking with the cross to Golgotha. And he says to the people who are weeping there, don't cry for me. Cry for yourselves. Look in your scripture sheet at Luke 19.44. They will dash you to the ground, you and your children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another. Why? Look at these words, underline them, mark them. Because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Jesus is saying judgment is coming because you did not recognize, you did not value the time of God's coming to you. The writer of Hebrews said it this way, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? That's what Jesus was saying to to Peter, to John. You have a crucial message. Where's our country? It's not that we have not heard. The gospel has been in the midst of this land for several centuries. Christ has been in our midst. For 250 years. And now our secular culture cries out of never before away with him. Jesus, you have no place in our schools. You have no place in our universities. Get out of our music. Get out of the arts. Get out of government. Jesus, you and your message are no longer welcome here. We're seeing a society built on a Judeo-Christian ethic. We're seeing that culture run pell-mell away from you, taking sledgehammers to the very underpinnings of our culture. He says, you have a crucial message. Families fall. Individual lives fall. Nations fall. Because of what they do with this message. You have a balanced message. You have a crucial message. Don't leave this yet. Some of us need to go home today and call children. The children that are here, we need to nudge them right now. They've heard the message. Our children, our grandchildren can be nonchalant to that message. They can treat it as if it's the least important message in this world. We need to say to them one more time, and I say to you one more time. I was in church this morning. I thought of you. There's a message that I treasure more than any other. And I'm afraid that I may not have adequately communicated that message to you. God came to my life in Jesus Christ. God came to our family in Jesus Christ to receive him as life in this world and in the next and to reject him as death in this world and in the next. Don't you trifle with this message. It's crucial. We need to keep saying that over and over and over again to our families, especially in the culture in which we live. You have a balanced culture. You have a message. You have a crucial message. You have a revealed message. Look at verse 21. At that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you've hidden these things from the wise and learned, and you've revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, this was your good pleasure. All things have been committed to be by my Father. No one Knows who the Son is except the Father. No one who knows who the Father is except the Son. And those to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Then He turned to His disciples and said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. Jesus laughed and He turned His eyes towards heaven. Father, I thank You. As His disciples came back and spoke of what had happened. I thank You that You have revealed to them what they could not see. Do you understand if you're trying to tell someone about Jesus, you're telling your children about Jesus, you're reading them Bible studies, you're telling your neighbor about Jesus, you do understand that you can't make them see. You cannot make them believe. I've literally preached over the years to thousands and thousands of people, and I can go home to glory knowing that no man ever was converted By anything in me or anything that I said. It's God that gives us eyes to see. It's God that gives us ears to hear. We say that here every Sunday morning. A few years ago, a man, I'd known him for, for years, said to me, we were two or three, four people were standing around And he said, John, two years ago, you became the greatest preacher I ever heard. We both laughed because I understood what he was saying. You see, he had been coming before those two years. He had been coming to church for about five years, the church where I was preaching. He came with his wife. He had tolerated it. He said he liked the stories. But he would argue with me about the deity of Christ. He would argue with me about the essentials of the gospel. But he said two years ago. I was sitting there on Sunday morning. I'd never really loved Christ. I had debated his deity with you. But there, as I sat in that church that morning, for the first time in my life, I saw the gospel. I saw that I was a sinner. I saw that Jesus Christ was the Son of God and I need, needed a Savior and there was no argument. I saw it. How did he see it? Because of me? No. He saw it because God revealed it to me. Know this, disciples. You have a revealed message. You have a balanced message, you have a crucial message, you have a revealed message, you have a joyous message. Look again at verse 9. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God is near you. What a great message. King's God near you. Then look at verse 17. The 72 returned with joy. Look at verse 21. At that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, you have a joyous message, disciples. What did the angel say when he came to announce it to the shepherds? What did he say? You know it. Luke 2, 9. The angel of the Lord appeared to them. The glory of the Lord stood around them. They were terrified that the angel said to them, Don't be afraid. What? I bring you good news. I bring you good news of great joy. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. The angel was saying, Kingdom of God has arrived. What did we sing this morning to begin our worship? Joy to the world! What the Lord is come. You say, John, we only sing that at Christmas. <laughs> the writer of that hymn did not write it as a Christmas carol or hymn. It was years, decades later before it was identified as a Christmas hymn. He based it. On one of the Psalms that, talk about, that, talks, that speaks of the coming of the kingdom of God. That is a message of great joy. What do we do? We, we feed the hungry and we say the kingdom of God is among you. Jesus has come. The Messiah has come. We do sing a Christmas carol. Go tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ has come. It's a carol of great joy. Look at Luke 10, 1. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him. He was coming ahead of him in place where he was about to go. They went ahead of him. Their message was, Jesus is coming to your town. Jesus is coming to your town. Jesus is coming to your place. It was a message of tremendous joy. Our houses literally should rock because Jesus has come to our house. That's what, are you saying that to your children? Are we saying that to our children? Our house should rock because Jesus has come to our house. Do you understand that? Child, the one thing I delight, I delight this morning that my daughter Jill is sitting over there. That's my greatest joy, to know that she's faithful. Sinner though she is, sinner though I am as her father, she's here. I rejoice that my son in Knoxville is at that church being planted. Church of the Resurrection in Knoxville. That's his sister. Faithful. That's the greatest joy I have that they can say to their children, our house rocks because Jesus has come. Is that what you know this morning? If that's not what you know, maybe you better examine your relationship to Him. Really examine what Jesus is doing in this world. Finally, there's so much more here. A balanced message, a crucial message, you have a reveal message, you have a joyous message. Finally, you have a self-effacing message. Now, for the old miss crowd, I know that you don't know what self-effacing is. It it means not being self-centered. It means that the self recedes and something else takes its place. You have a self-effacing message. It doesn't press Self to the forefront. In fact, we recede. If you hadn't paid attention to anything else, look at this. Luke 10, 17. 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. The darkness had been pushed back. Satan was being deceived. They, they, had, they had seen that they were doing, these disciples were doing what they could not have imagined before. And they come back reveling and they say, Jesus. Look what we did in our ministry. Look what we did as your disciples. And he said, don't you revel. Don't be astounded at what you've done in your discipleship. Be astounded that your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. That's what is astounding. You know, we've seen great things here. Some of you have been here longer than I have been at this church. You saw God take a vision of a very small group of people. You saw a a small group of people meeting at a Bible study in a living room here in Fayette County. You saw that little group grow. You saw prayers answered. People saved. Nurseries built. Children's ministries built. Youth groups built. You saw the purchase of this land. You saw this building built. In fact, we're sitting at these, these tables this morning to celebrate this wonderful ministry that God has given us. And we marvel every week at what, is, what you know, what's happening in our midst. I get excited as I think about the benediction here every Sunday as we leave. Because every person in this room, you're taking the gospel out all over Fayette County. And it's happening on Monday and Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, and then we come back here and we do it again. It's exciting, isn't it? In 1987, I was sitting at a table eating supper with a few men at 10th Presbyterian in Philadelphia. We were, all of us, were speaking at the Philadelphia Conference on Reformed Theology. There were about seven people in that room at this dining table. R.C. Sproul was there, one of the great, great theological minds of the 20th century. Eric Alexander was there. I consider him personally to be the greatest preacher, greatest pulpit preacher week after week that exists in the world today. Robert Godfrey was there, another great man. Jim Boyce. How many commentaries has he written? As I sat there, I looked around at these other men, and they were, I, I, I thought that probably conservatively speaking, they had written 200 books. I didn't belong there. I, I felt like this I. I called Janet, she's probably forgotten her, I called her that evening and said, guess who came to dinner? Guess who my dinner companions were? We both laughed. I thought about that when I was preparing this message. God says to us, that's what Jesus was saying here. He was saying, hey folks, at Christ Presbyterian, Don't revel. Don't be astonished. Don't be astounded at what God is doing through your ministry, through your individual lives here in Fayette County. Don't be astounded at what's taking place on this piece of property. Be astounded that you're saved. Be astounded that your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. John Sartell, don't be astounded that you sat in the same room with those guys. Be astounded. You're saved. Be astounded your name's written in the Lamb. See, the wonder is not in what ministry we've had in this world. The wonder is That we were once among the wolves. We were once one of the wolves. And God saved us. And that's what we're going to sing right now. That great hymn, Amazing Grace.